Hey guys, and welcome to Money Talks News, the podcast. In this episode, we're talking about the habits of millionaires. Did you know that most wealthy people don't drive luxury cars? It ain't all Lamborghinis and Bentleys, people. For many, the most likely cars are Toyotas, Hondas, and Fords. You might be surprised at other millionaire habits that might be more frugal than you expect. Today, we're going to talk about the habits of millionaires. Understanding the things that millionaires do can help you on your personal journey to wealth. I'm Stacy Johnson. As usual, my co-host will be financial journalist Miranda Marquette. Hello, Miranda. Hey, Stacy. I'm just wondering what it means that I drive a Subaru. Well, I drive a Mercedes, so I must not be a millionaire either. <laughs> Listening in and sometimes contributing is producer and novice investor Aaron Freeman. Hello, Aaron. Hello. How's everybody doing today? I'm doing great. Well, let's find out how Sarah Fallow is doing. She's our special guest today. She is the daughter of Dr. Thomas J. Stanley, the author of The Millionaire Next Door and the founder of Data Points, a company that looks at data surrounding self-made millionaires. Hi, Sarah. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And I have to tell you that your dad is one of my heroes. I, I, I wrote a book uh, called Life or Debt uh, 22 years ago. And in that book, I quoted and, and uh, gave credit to The Millionaire Next Door, as well as Your Money or Your Life, a book I'm sure you're familiar with. I've heard of it, never read it, though. Yep. Oh, you should read it. You should read it. You'd really like it. Because it's got a lot of the same stuff uh, that the million... Well, not the same stuff, the same attitude, let me say, as The Millionaire Next Door. But anyway, for those of you out there who have not read The Millionaire Next Door, you must, must do so, because it, it'll surprise you. Okay, before we start the podcast, folks, a couple of things. First of all, we do not give financial advice, so make sure to do your own research and consult your own experts before acting on anything you learn here. <clears throat> the second thing is, imagine that you make part of your living doing podcast, and there's major construction going on right behind you. But you don't have to imagine that because that's what's happening right now to me. <laughs> so if you hear any noises on this, do not adjust your set. You're hearing my contractors. You're hearing the American economy at work. Okay, so let's let's go ahead and dive on into this discussion. Please, Sarah, tell us a little bit about yourself and the millionaire next door. Yeah, so you know, like you said, I am the daughter of the author of the millionaire next door. So um, that was certainly something that my uh, father was known for, and um, that book was published when I was in college. So I wasn't really paying too much attention to what my dad was doing way back then, as you can imagine. Um, but, you know, I grew up around his survey research and the work that he did looking at wealthy Americans and how they built wealth over time. But my interest in my kind of area that I focus on is personality and psychology related to building wealth and sustaining wealth and investing. And so that's kind of the way that I've sort of taken the work that he's done um, and, and, you know, carried it on, if you will. I, I'm curious about this, too, because how does, how does, okay, I just said data points, mm -hmm. uh, you put together information, looks at data surrounding self-made millionaires. How, how do you make a living doing that? Yeah, good question. Um, so we actually have created, based on my father's work, as well as research out there in the world of financial psychology, we've created behavioral assessments that financial planners and financial therapists and coaches use with their clients. So um, those are kind of, that's the primary way. It's a subscription model. Um, we also have assessments and tests on our website on datapoints.com that you can go and take one of our personality tests and things like that. Um, but our primary sort of market, if you will, are is the financial services industry. 
oh, I want to take this test. I want to see if I have what it takes to be a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So if you go to datapoints.com slash personality, you can learn all about your personality characteristics as they relate to spending, saving, and investing. What's the website? Yep, datapoints.com slash personality. Right. Okay, we'll be we'll be saying that again, but I, yeah. I'm very yeah. curious. And, and by I the think, way, my, my producer just slipped me a note. Uh, I think I said your <laughs> last name wrong. That's we, okay. It's a t- it's very hard. I went from Stanley to Falah, so no problem. Yep. Falah. Falah. Oh, I butchered yeah. that. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that my producer made a fool of me, but you, we got to correct that. No, no, it's okay. It's okay because I can make a fool of myself just as easily anyway. I okay. do that as well. Yeah. See, and l- I, l- l- go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I really like the idea behind data points and finding out your money psychology, because a lot of the time we don't stop to think about how we interact with money and our relationship with money. So having something to make you think about it and make you really take a step back and look at your interactions with money, I think is super important. Yeah. And it's really like the first step if you're trying to adapt it, you know, to a new habit, right? Or, you know, kind of change the way that you're doing something is to sort of take an inventory of, okay, how do I typically respond to money? How do I you know, make um, spending decisions when I'm stressed out, for example. Some of us don't make great spending decisions all the time, but, you know, especially when we're stressed out um, and things like that. So it is, you know, it's important. Certainly it's important if you are working with a financial planner or advisor, then they're they're trying to give you advice or guidance. And, you know, again, some of us really appreciate um, a real structure uh, to managing finances. Some of us don't. So it's important, like I said, just as a first step. I just I was just reminded of a line from my book. I don't mean to keep pushing my book. It's 22 years old. I'm not really trying to get people to buy my book. <laughs> you but need a second I, edition, man. Well, Update I do have it. a second edition. There's, I actually wrote Life or Debt and then Life or Debt 2010, which was the second oh, edition, which is now 13 grief. years old. Okay, uh, yeah. Any, anyway, Update though, the point business. I was going to make was in this book, I said, um, and I, I used to be a stockbroker for, for 10 or 12 years, uh, Sarah, but uh, what I said was, be aware that the person next to you with a Porsche with a suit on is probably not the rich guy. He's probably selling mm. things to rich guys. The rich guy is the mm-hmm. guy with the station wagon wearing blue jeans. Why? Because he doesn't give a damn. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to mm-hmm. prove. Uh, he doesn't have to look wealthy because he is wealthy. Uh, it, that's basically the kind of message in the mil- in the Millionaire Next Door, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, one of the key sort of behavioral factors that we focus on is this thing called social indifference, and it's really the ability for all of us to ignore what everybody else is doing in order to build wealth. So just like you said, you know, being able to shop and spend and wear things that you want to wear and not worrying about what others are doing. um, It's one of the key kind of, again, personality factors, if you will, related to building worth, building wealth long term. I, I think that I developed my whole persona around this because I, <laughs> I, I am, I am a self-made millionaire. It can be a bad thing. Yeah, it yeah. can be a bad thing if taken too far. That's yeah, well, for sure. I'm a self-made yeah. millionaire. I drive a 2009 car. I do, it is a Mercedes, but I drive a 2009 car. And I wear shorts and tank tops basically every day. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think I have any suits left. I, I kept one for my wedding in case I need to go to other weddings or a funeral. But uh, I, I, you cannot tell that I have any money at all by looking at me. And I live in a house that's I've, I've owned for 20 years and it's it looks like a normal 1965 house. Mm, That's uh, because it, you spend all your time making money. Well, you know, you know what? You I don't, don't know why shop. it is. It's just because, <laughs> I mean, and it's not that I'm, I can be extravagant, you know, um, but generally speaking, it, it just doesn't matter that much to me. You know, being successful matters, 
but having the having the um, accoutrements of success don't matter so much to me. Right. I think, you know, again, one of the key components, whether we're talking about, you know, the millionaire next door, the work that you've done, or, you know, again, looking at research out there in the world of financial psychology is, you know, the, the idea of um, being able to build wealth by not sort of investing, if you will, or spending in anticipation of being wealthy, right? So it's, you know, curtailing that spending, you know, may, maybe, you know, people don't want to live in, you know, an older house or drive an older car and that kind of thing. That's fine. But do you have the income and the savings and the net worth to support that? And, and so that's one of the key things that we've seen as well. Well, as much as I love talking about myself, Sarah, <laughs> I'm going to have to move this conversation <laughs> on to something else. Um, <laughs> so w- w- the, for our listeners, the reason we're here, tell me what habits I need to develop to become this millionaire next door. Yeah. So, you know, again, just going back to the one we just talked about, that social indifference, being able to ignore what, um, you know, those around you are wearing and driving and buying, which has become really hard with social media because we can see, you know, that all the time. So if you're someone that is very um, into social media, you know, your phone's always telling you how many hours you're spending on it. um, And you have, you know, kind of a tough time, if you will, ignoring how others are spending, then it might be a good idea to, you know, turn that off every once in a while and ignore those things. Um, That's one of the key things. But the others are are things that have been, that are more timeless, right? So things like being frugal, um, you know, making good decisions, that's, we call that confidence typically. Um, And then really assuming that you have some control over your financial future. We see that those that tend to be um, wealth, or the, those are that are wealthy and that are able to build and sustain wealth, really believe in themselves. They believe that they can actually do this um, versus those that think, well, things just happen to me, right? That, you know, it just happens that I, you know, happened upon this job. I happen, you know, my income isn't, you know, changeable. There's nothing I can do to improve my situation. We find that that's often correlated. Um, with lower net worth, lower income, and and things like that as well. You know, I used to be really jealous of Susie Orman because we're about the same age. Uh, she got on Oprah. I didn't, but we came from a you know similar background. And she's worth a hundred million dollars, and I'm not. Uh, she's famous, and I'm not. And I used to be. I mean, even since I've known you here in eleven years, yeah, uh, I know even since then, I I don't care about that anymore. But boy, I cared about it. You know, I mean, it's because you know why, Sarah? Because it made me feel like I failed. I was aiming at the mm-hmm. same place that she was aiming at, but she got there and I didn't. And that made me think two things. It, ma- it made me afraid of being a failure, but it also made me think she cheated. You know, <laughs> she, she got on Oprah. You know what? It's not my fault. It's not my fault that I'm not famous. Uh, and, and and after a while, I, I realized that maybe I'm just not as good as she is. But that took me 30 years mm-hmm. before I could look mm-hmm. at it that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of us suffer from that, right? Even if we... Um, you know, look around us and again, going back to the the idea of building wealth, that if you look around and you see all these people being really successful and they've got great cars and all of that too, um, you know, that can lead to overspending a lot of times. Um, When you look at things like money scripts, if you've heard of those that Brad, Dr. Brad Klontz talks about all the time, you know, that money worship piece or what we call money focus as well, 
um, can really impact things. And and so, no, I, I can imagine that having someone in the same field that, you know, had a meteoric rise, if you will, would have been challenging to watch. Yeah, I was 65 before I realized that maybe she's better than me. I mean, <laughs> I'm not kidding you. And well, maybe, she's just, maybe she's just got a better publicist. Yeah, or, well, you know, her, but, you know, she may define success differently today. You might define that differently. Right. So you've probably gone through that process as well. And you're probably grateful for the things that you have that she doesn't as well. Um, you know, all those things can impact how you view success. Yeah, you're, you know, you're right. When I, when I became what I could, what I would consider successful. I mean, I live in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which is basically Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I can still feel like a very poor person here. But, you know, relative to the people I grew up with or my parents, I'm very successful. And once I felt that I was successful, I cared a lot less about what my competition was doing. Absolutely. Now, it says here in my notes that I'm supposed to ask you about data points, uh, share some data. But what, what does the average millionaire look like? You know, in terms of the things that we collect at data points, like the, the information that we collect, it's more along the lines of attitudes, wellness, um, you know, how you're feeling about your financial life. You know, we do ask some demographic questions. And so we're able to look at differences between age groups, genders, things like that. Um, but, you know, typically what we found, again, if you look at the data from the the Millionaire Next Door, which was published in 1996, and you look at the data from the next Millionaire Next Door, which was published in 2018, you know, while the numbers have changed slightly in terms of, you know, the, the average cost of a house and things like that, or how much they were spending on homes, that kind of thing, what hasn't changed are those sort of universal characteristics that let someone or allow someone, I should say, to transform income into wealth. Those things haven't changed, and I think they will continue to be the same. So again, going back, um, Stacy, to what you were saying, you know, the characteristics like being frugal and being socially indifferent and confident and, and in control, those things are timeless. So they predict net worth regardless of how old someone is or what their income level is. Um, you know, for those statistical people, that means we've controlled for things like age and income. And we're able to say, hey, these characteristics are actually predictive of net worth. And so if you're thinking about, for example, investing and like who's a good investor, right? That's a little bit different than saying I'm, I'm the millionaire next door. There's a different sort of set of characteristics that go along with that, like things like being, um, being emotionally stable or what we call volatility composure, um, you know, having some risk personality, those kinds of things. So, you know, depending on what we're trying to predict or, or what we're trying to understand about someone, we'll, we'll measure different things, if that makes sense. And that's kind of what Data Points does as well. You know, what, what I want to do, we're going to take a really quick break. We're right in the middle of our show. Um, but when we come back, I want you to help me. To, I mean, I'm hearing what these habits are, but I want you to tell me how to develop them. Because, mm. I mean, it's easy to say, you know, d- don't care about what other people do and don't worry about material possessions and things like that. But how do you develop that sort of an attitude? Don't tell me now. You're going to have plenty of time to think of it during this break. We're going to be right back. And we're right back. You didn't have any time to think about that, did you, Sarah? <laughs> Not too much. No. <laughs> so really, though, it, I, I, let's say I'm 25 years old. I'm listening to this podcast. I really want to become wealthy. Tell me what ha- you told me what a what a millionaire next door looks like. 
tell me how to become one. What do I mm. need to do? Gosh, I wish I knew. No, I, you know, I know, I know some, some, um, you know, I'm not uh, necessarily a financial coach or a therapist. Um, so I know enough to be dangerous in that area. But, you know, essentially, you know, most of us have personalities that are generally stable, right? So we want to do the same, we're probably going to do the same things that we did yesterday, today, that kind of thing. Um, so it does take some kind of effort, right? It's it's habit formation. We have to adopt new ways of thinking about things, new ways to do things. Um, and so that takes time. And whether you are, you know, really good at generally changing your habits, that's one thing to keep in mind. If you're not, you may have to consider working with a financial coach, you know, someone that can kind of guide you into um, a new set of habits, a new set of ways to do things. Um, you know, our our money experiences dictate how we, you know, how we invest and save and spend today. So those are, you know, give yourself some grace that those are really ingrained and they're going to be kind of challenging to change. Um, you know, there are a lot of different models of behavior change and things like that. But I would say, you know, the first is just understanding if you are again, you know, open to change and you have demonstrated that you've made changes in the past. Um, and then if not, you know, working with someone can be helpful. There are a lot of different, like I said, a lot of different models for that. But, um, you know, that would take probably a financial therapist or coach to, to comment on more eloquently than I did. You know, Sarah, what just occurred to me, though, I, I'm looking, I'm thinking back on my life now, thinking about how I became successful. And you know, one of the things that changed me, that hmm. book. That book changed mm. me. Your, the mm -hmm. Millionaire Next Door changed me. So mm -hmm. did and, and your money, your life. That changed mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. you know, I wrote in I wrote in my book. Um, you can either look rich or you can be rich, but it's, you're not going to live long enough to do both. So mm -hmm. make a decision. You know, and and I think that that I think these. So in 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 addition to what you just said, reading books can help mm -hmm. you change your attitude. Mm -hmm. it, it helped me change mine. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, you know, if you've got someone in your life, again, whether you're working with a professional or not, but someone that can hold you accountable to those changes as well can be helpful. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Intervention, you know, reading books or going through some kind of life experience, we often see that people will change the way that they do things. We don't want it to come to that, right? We don't want to go through like a job loss or, you know, death of a spouse or something like that to change our personality and our habits. I think, you know, like you said, having a book or some kind of intervention from, again, a professional or even a friend that can help um, as you adopt those new habits can be helpful. What about you, Miranda? You're a millionaire, not exactly next door <laughs> because you're in Idaho, but um, <laughs> you're, what, what, do you, what do you think about all this stuff? I, I really feel like you, even though I don't know you all that well, I know you pretty well, and I think you are kind of like this, right? You're, you're not you're not looking to drive a Bentley. I mean, you're just looking yeah, to be successful. No, yeah, so yeah, so yeah. No, I I am not I am not quite a millionaire millionaire yet. I've I've reached I've reached a point where I don't have to keep investing anymore if I want to be a millionaire in a few more years. Uh, but like, yeah, I mean, I I haven't made becoming a millionaire my main focus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My main focus has been designing a life that I enjoy, and so mm -hmm. I'm more interested in uh, things like. The fact that I have a very flexible work arrangement mm -hmm. as a freelancer, and so I can get up when I want, and I can work for two or three hours a day, and then do a podcast, and then go do whatever it is I'm doing in the afternoon, hiking, uh, finding hot springs, doing all that, or, or outdoorsy stuff, or being in my community. I serve on local nonprofit boards. I work with a national nonprofit. 
And so for me, it's about having flexibility in my life Mm -hmm. to be able to support that lifestyle and making choices like living in a low cost of living place like Idaho um, Mm -hmm. is one Mm -hmm. of those things, right? Like uh, folks who really skyrocket to millionaire status, a lot of the time they take into account uh, where do we live? How am I using my money? Um, Where can I save? Am I spending on unnecessary things? And um you know, and part of it's just conscious being say, saying like, what are my goals? What do I want to accomplish? And w- what do I need to do to, to make that happen? You, you know, Sarah, I was just thinking of something else that I've told people over the years too. If you want to be successful, find somebody successful and follow them around until either you gain their <laughs> knowledge or they get a restraining order. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> you know, if, if you want to be a millionaire, hang around with millionaires. How did they get there? Talk to them. You know, mm-hmm, and, and I'm thinking mm-hmm. specifically when I was right out of college, I read a book about uh, making a million dollars in real estate. And my landlord owned 20 houses. This is in Tucson, mm. Arizona. And, you know, very simple man, station wagon type guy, you know. Uh, and I just talked to him all the time. Mm-hmm. How'd you buy houses? How do you get so much? How did you buy? How'd you have money to buy 50 mm-hmm. houses? How, how do you know how much to charge for rent? You know, blah, blah, blah. And then until I bought my first rental property. Uh, which wasn't much after that. It was six months after I got out of college. I traded in, I sold my car, used a down payment for a house, and then and then uh, bought a classic car for with money from the credit union. Anyway, so what I do is I ask people right. how they did it. You know, yeah. uh, you can't pull up next to somebody in a Rolls Royce, but a lot of people who are millionaires don't drive Rolls Royces. They own a gas station. You know, right. They, right. You know, I don't know. It's, it's not easy to change who you are. Um, like, say you have a friend, you know, or multiple friends, and they're wealthy. They say one, you know, starts a business, and one, you know, throws twenty grand at the stock market like it's no big deal. Uh, and you're a risk adverse person. Mm-hmm. If you're risk adverse, it's going to be really hard to change that that mind process. You know, th- that these guys somehow were able to uh, adapt or adopt. Um, how do you change that? Yeah, you know, again, I would say um, experience, kind of what you were saying, Stacey, going back to, you know, being around those that are able to do this, that are teaching you, that are helping you understand how to make investing-related decisions can be helpful. Um, You know, again, we, we do have to acknowledge, though, that not all of us are going to be, you know, the best investors in the world or, you know, risk takers, that kind of thing. So I think that it's important to understand, you know, who you are in the context of what you're trying to do and maybe in terms of building wealth or actually making money, if you will, you'll have to do something else that's more aligned with your own, you know, characteristics that will allow you to be successful. Because if you think about, again, for risk averse clients, for the advisors we work with, for example, um, you know, being heavily invested in the stock market, especially in, um, you know, investments that are maybe exotic, for example, is not going to be great for that client that is risk averse. Um, They're going to make a decision based on the volatility that will not be in their long-term best interest. So it's important to understand, you know, who you are and and where you could best be suited as well. It's not all about behavior change. It's also understanding where you are today. Great answer. One other thing I'd throw in there too, Erin, is that um, the opposite of fear is knowledge. The more knowledge you have, the less fear you have. So, you know, you start small and then you over, you know, you, I buy a thousand shares of a stock and you buy 10. But the more you understand the stock market, the less fear you have the next time. So, you know, understanding something really well will help. Obviously, it doesn't change your personality. You, my dad was risk averse. He wouldn't touch a stock. Um, but having more knowledge and experience 
it dissipates fear. Do you, you agree, Sarah? Yeah, it, it may, yeah, a little bit. I think that I will say that those two things are are somewhat related, but also um, we've seen at least in the way that we measure risk tolerance, for example, they're a little bit different. So you know, I would say that knowledge helps with confidence, right? If I'm not if I'm not knowledgeable about the stock market. Um, and I have very little experience, then, you know, my confidence in making decisions will probably be pretty low. If it's very high, then that's a, that's a problem, too. But we can talk about that later. <laughs> um, you know, but at the same time, we see that component of fear, which we, again, it, we measure it. We call it volatility composure. That's the emotional side of investing. Mm-hmm. I can be very, very knowledgeable, but just in terms of my personality, my natural inclinations, is that I feel anxiety, fear, and worry more so than other people. And those things are kind of separate from one another. Okay. Even if I'm super knowledgeable, I still might be kind of an anxious person, right? And so, you know, you'd kind of have to work on both of those things. You'd have to build your knowledge. You'd also have to, you know, work on maybe being a little less reactive to volatility in the market and things like that. Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense, too. What is it you're teaching investment counselors or investment advisors? What what are you telling them? Be be aware that the person you're just because that person's wearing jeans and a t-shirt doesn't mean they're not wealthy. <laughs> I mean, what yeah, is it you're you teaching know, them? Uh, a lot of a lot of the folks that we work with already are kind of fans of the Millionaire Next Door. I will say, um, so they kind of already get that piece. In terms of what we you know we teach advisors, and again, you know, for the um, individuals that have been to our sessions as well. It's really more about um, understanding, you know, who your client is, understanding yourself, understanding the, again, your natural biases about things, as well as your personality when it comes to spending, saving, investing. So we're we're teaching them how to measure those things and how to use them um, in their communication with clients and and how they, you know, coach and guide them as well. Interesting. Very cool. Do you have anything else you want to add, Miranda or Aaron? Uh, no, just just make sure that like if if you're trying to build these millionaire habits, like it's really less about whether you're getting up at four a.m. and taking a cold mm. shower, and more about, <laughs> right? And more yeah. about like, are you acting with intention, and are you um, are you are, are you paying attention to what you're doing with your money? Absolutely. Okay, folks, I'm afraid we are out of time, but we are never out of topic. Dig a little deeper. You're going to find links to lots more info in our show notes. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, and yes, to retire rich, your online home is moneytalksnews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is Miranda Marquit, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T.com. And of course, you want to go to Sarah's website right now. That is datapoints.com. If you got a question, comment, or topic you'd like to suggest, don't just sit there. Tell us about it. You can email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one final thing, if you like what we do, then do something for us. Subscribe to our podcast. Takes you two seconds, but it really helps us. So if you like us, show us and subscribe. I'm Stacy Johnson. I'm Miranda Marquette. And I'm Aaron Freeman. And thanks again, Sarah, for being here. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. And all you folks, thanks for hanging out with us. We're going to see you right here next time.